0: I want to thank our deacon chairman for getting me onto a new routine. For probably 19 and a half years, it was grace, mercy, and peace of yours from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our loving Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Then dump, jump right into that sermon. But he pointed out to me about six months ago, seven months ago, that there are these gems of prayers that have been preserved by the Christian church for generations. And I've been starting to use those to begin our sermon instead of the opening votum. And this one comes from the Bishop of Rusp in North Africa. But to give you some idea of how old this thing is, he served as Bishop of Rusp in North Africa from 508 to 533. And as you listen to these words, Notice how nothing has changed. The Spirit has preserved this truth in our midst, we pray. Christ our God, you were transfigured on the mountain and manifested your glory to your disciples as they were able to bear it. Shed your everlasting light upon us that we may behold your glory, enter into your sufferings and proclaim you to the world for you give light in the darkness and are yourself the light, now and forever. Amen. When it is your time to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I want you to recall this transfiguration mountaintop experience that you hear once a year where you have been given a glimpse of glory. And the Spirit will use that to wipe all fear away. So this morning, I don't want to begin by being the poster boy of negativity. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, man, he's just negative Ned this morning. But the truth of the matter is, is that if your life has been going swimmingly, if your life has just been going, yeah! It's awesome. I want you to enjoy it while you can. Because the truth is, eventually, that swimmingly, that two thumbs up is going to come to an end. Eventually, a cloud is going to roll in, a cloud of gloom, and it's going to fog up your life. And I'm really sorry to tell you that, but it's true. But what I want you to think about is how do you cope with that reality? How do you deal with that down? How do you deal with the thorns and the briars and the thistles that come into your life? There is a way. And it's summarized in one word. Well, okay, two. The transfiguration. So, what's going on here? So, Jesus takes three of his dear disciples and he takes them up to a mountaintop to pray. And while he is up there, a very unique miracle occurs. His humble human form, it changes. It transforms. It transfigures. And he literally proves that he is the light that no darkness can ever overcome. He literally starts, his divine glory starts effusing forth, shining forth, sparkling and bursting forth to the point where you can't even look at him, he's so bright. That's what happened on the top of the mountain of transfiguration. And we're not going to worry and get off sidetrack about what mountain it was. That's not the point and it really doesn't matter. So that's the facts and that's what happened. Now, for Christians who have been... 70, 80 years a Christian, or for even new Christians. This can be a little bit of a mystery. What is going on on the top of this mountain? Why in all the world is this happening? Well, in order to answer that question, we really need to put ourselves into the context of the text here and the context of Jesus' past two and a half years. What has he been doing? Through all of his messages and his miracles, Through all of his words and his works, he has had one goal, and that is to seek and to save the lost. But the end was coming. The end was drawing near. And so Jesus began preparing his disciples for the time when he would not be with them any longer visibly. He was preparing them for the time when he would be with them invisibly. He stated several times I am going to Jerusalem to die. In fact, in our Bible that we have, it is recorded three times, definitely, but you have to imagine that he mentioned it many more times to prepare his disciples. Three times is not for man enough for something to get into our heads. It's usually like seven or more, all right? But understandably, the disciples became puzzled and they became perplexed. Now for them, Every single step closer to Jerusalem was gonna be a step closer to his death. That's why they were always trying to dissuade him from going to Jerusalem. No, we're not gonna go, we can keep you with us longer. How did they cope with that reality that he was eventually no longer gonna be with them? How did they deal with that downer? How did they deal with that really big briar or thorn that was now in their heads and hearts and flesh? That their lord and master, their rabbi, was not going to be with them much longer. That's when Jesus took these three up on the top of the mountain. With the shadow of the cross looming ever larger and larger and larger, this event stands out on the pages of Scripture as because the transfiguration gives us a glimpse of glory, a glimpse of Jesus' glory. Can you understand why Jesus was so upset at the beginning and end of his ministry? Do you see why the devil's temptation at the beginning of Jesus' ministry to avoid suffering, and why the the disciples' wishes at the end of his ministry for him to avoid death, why those two events and anything similar to it in between was so detestable to him? I mean, look what was on the line here. The eternal destiny of the entire human race was on the line here. It was at stake. Jesus had to go to Calvary to die, to pay for the sins of the world. And if he did not, then the world would have to pay for its own sins, one soul at a time. And that, that is a debt. That no eternity can pay. As true God, Jesus knew precisely what he was walking into when he would get to Jerusalem. As the Son of God, he knew that he would be mocked as a lowly human being, as a man, as a fraud. He knew that he would have a whip rip his back open and and expose and cut his flesh. He knew that fists and blows would strike him in the face and in the body. He knew that the soldiers would make fun of him. He knew that he would be nailed to a cross. He knew that thorns would be smashed onto his head and he would be made a laughing stock and made fun of. He knew the future hammer six months down the road and he could hear it clanging against the nails as it ripped through his tendons. HE KNEW ALL THIS, AND YET HE STILL WENT, AND YET HE STILL WENT FOR YOU. BUT AS TRUE MAN, AS TRUE MAN, THIS SUFFERING WAS NOT EXACTLY A PLEASANT THOUGHT. SO THIS MOMENT OF SHINING GLORY UP THERE ON THE MOUNT OF TRANSFIGURATION CAME JUST AT THE PERFECT TIME FOR HIM. LISTEN AGAIN. As they were praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke of his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Here's Moses, the lawgiver. Here's Elijah, one of the greatest prophets that God ever used, bolstering up the one who had come to fulfill the law perfectly, the one who had come to fulfill all the prophets or all the promises that had been made by the prophets. Even God the Father adds in his little two cents worth, his, well, his hundred million dollars worth, I guess. God doesn't have a two cents worth. He adds in his attaboy. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. It's like he's saying, this is your Savior. This is God himself. Mark this. Listen to him because everything he says is important for your eternal welfare. The transfiguration served as a personal shot in the arm for Jesus' divine glory, for his divine self and his human self, and especially his human self, which is feeling a little uncomfortable with all this. JUST WHEN HE NEEDED IT MOST, THIS GLIMPSE OF GLORY GAVE JESUS HUMAN SELF JUST WHAT HE NEEDED. JUST WHAT HE NEEDED TO CARRY HIM THROUGH THE NEXT SIX MONTHS, TO CARRY HIM THROUGH SUFFERING, Past THAT, INTO ETERNAL GLORY. WELL, THE DISCIPLES, the transfiguration couldn't have come at a better time for those perplexed and those deflated and defeated disciples. Uh, they, they were confused. They, they were probably thinking to themselves, if our Lord is going go to go to Jerusalem to die, how in all the world is he going to carry out his plan to be Lord over all? We don't understand how this is going to work. But anyway, we don't want him to leave us because we love him. A few months later, those three... Who had seen his glory the glory of the one and only they were standing at the foot of his cross watching their beloved rabbi die watching the blood flow out of his wrists and his feet and his side can you imagine what a blessing That transfiguration was for them at that moment the one who had died on that cross was not a mere mortal he was not a mere human he was the glorious Son of God himself that meant that his death brought value and power to the forgiveness of sins for all people once Jesus had risen from the grave The dominoes started falling into place for the disciples, and things started to make sense to them more and more. The the picture became much clearer. No matter how horrible the persecutions were going to be for them that they faced in the future, they knew that they were on the winning team because of that transfiguration mountaintop experience. Jesus had given them victory over the power, over the pressure, over the consequences of sin. Think about that. He had blessed them with that. Throughout their ministries, Peter, James, and John treasured in their hearts and in their heads the transfiguration truth that they had been given a glimpse of glory, and that glimpse of glory changed everything for them. They became bold proclaimers of the gospel, and no pandemic of sin was gonna keep them down. But because of that glimpse of glory, no matter what they faced, opposition from the world, it would carry them through their suffering, often to pass that into eternal glory. You know, when my life is going swimmingly and my life is two thumbs up, I really don't think about the suffering or the hardships that I've had to go through in my life it just doesn't happen. And I think the same is true for you as well. When things are going well, it's hard for you to remember what suffering is like. Well, what happens when your marriage turns out not to be the dream that you thought it was gonna be? What happens when your entrepreneurial business or your job goes down the tubes and it's just poof, gone? What do you do when your doctor delivers a C-word as a diagnosis? Or I was thinking that I did preach on this text three years ago, but what if I three years ago had used as an example at this point in the sermon, what if God allowed a worldwide pandemic to come come upon the world And depending on how its variants went, it could produce a variant that would literally threaten the lives of 40 to 45% of the population of humanity and simply wipe them out and change civilization as we know it. I think you would have sat there three years ago going, okay, I got your other examples, but that one seems a little bit over-the-top, Pastor. I mean, what are the odds, for heaven's sakes, with today's medical science? Except... You just lived through a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic. And there was a point, according to epidemiologists, when a variant could have gone rogue and threatened 40 to 45% of the population of the world. And it could literally have changed civilization. It has changed civilization as we knew it to a great degree. How do you cope with all those realities that I just rattled off? How do you deal with those downs, those thorns and those briars and those thistles that come into your life? You might be tempted to cry out, Lord, what in the world is going on? Where's all the glory in this? You told me as a Christian it was gonna be a cakewalk. No, he didn't. He told you just the opposite. That's when you climb back up the Mount of Transfiguration and you catch for yourself another glimpse of glory by going back to this text from Luke. This glimpse will have a total, complete bearing on how you cope with those thorns and those thistles, those realities of your life. You see, the Bible does not mince words. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means, Christian, That because you are a Christian, you can expect troubles and woes. Even just as a human being, you can expect troubles and woes. But the Bible also tells us that every difficulty that he allows into our life is really God's way of giving us his loving discipline. Listen to the writer to the Hebrews. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is not disciplined by his father? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Sufferings, hardships, troubles, pains, anguishes, the C word. They all are allowed into your life for two reasons. Number one, to remind us how frail and imperfect we are and to drive us to rely upon his power, not upon your own strength and power. And number two, to remind us that we are but strangers here, that our stay here in this world is temporary because he has something far more glorious awaiting for us. And we know all this is true. We know it is true because the Holy Spirit has worked faith in your heart to believe what God has told you in his scriptures. And this transfiguration on the Mount, this Mount of Transfiguration event is recorded in those scriptures. For your edification, for your comfort, for your strength, for your building up. So that when it's time for you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can remember this time when you are on the top of the mountain. And you caught a glimpse of glory, the glory of your Savior, Jesus. And that, that will carry you through the suffering into eternal glory. On Wednesday, we will enter the season of the church year, as Lent. Our Ash Wednesday service this coming Wednesday will begin at 7 p.m. Once again, we will have the imposition of ashes to remind us that from dust you came, to dust you will return. Let's meet here at 7 p.m. because starting on Ash Wednesday, things change in our worship life. Today, at the end of service, we are going to say farewell to Alleluia for six weeks. Our worship is going to become a little bit more somber. Uh, the, the song of praise is going to be omitted from our Sunday worship. And the Lenten hymns, most of our Lenten hymns that Deb and Pastor Koch have selected are going to be in a minor key. Or even maybe an old ancient modal key. We do all of this on purpose. Not to artificially manipulate emotions, but to focus us on the reason why we need to go through Lent. It's to remind us that we are sinful creatures in need of forgiveness. And to remind ourselves what life is really like. It's not always a swimmingly easy cakewalk. Sometimes it's downright tough. But for six weeks, we can endure somber worship, For six weeks, we can deal with the serious issues of life, because why? Because we know what's on the other side of Lent. We know what's on the other side of this valley of the shadow of death that we're gonna be going down into the light on the other side, because the transfiguration reminds us that the glory of Easter lies ahead. And so does heaven. Amen. Please stand.
1: The peace of God which
0: surpasses all understanding, it will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, Pastor Cuck will come forward and lead us in the Apostles' Creed.